27 million turned into 50 billion dollars in street value. Now, this might sound insane, but it actually is not. That's what the Financial Times recently reported when they deep-dived into the growing issue of using crypto for illicit transactions when buying chemicals from China to produce and sell fentanyl in the US. I sat down with Scott Cipollina from the Financial Times to dig into this topic further. They seized about 379 million deadly doses, which is effectively enough to kill every man, woman and child in the United States. How is North Korea using crypto to facilitate their missiles program? Simply stealing from crypto exchanges, which North Korea has a very well-documented history of doing. Hey, Scott, welcome to The Laundry. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy that you were able to join on such short notice because your piece in the Financial Times, I read it on Friday and it just caught my interest um, right away because I've seen, I as many others, others have seen video clips of the opioid crisis in Philadelphia, LA, and I just hadn't made that connection myself with cryptocurrencies and fentanyl. So happy to be here and explore this topic with you. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as you said in the intro, this is, um, you know, it's, it's a it's a horrific tragic story um and just to, to go to go sort of to square one um from the, the the starting point of that article that i wrote last week um the study actually was published by a blockchain analytics company called elliptic um and just to sort of set this up you know the, the, the main point uh that that's made in that story is that the most most of the fentanyl that's trafficked into the united states is manufactured using chemical ingredients imported from Chinese suppliers and 90%, so an overwhelming number, really 90% of these suppliers accept cryptocurrency as, as a payment mechanism. That's, uh, that's quite a staggering number. Uh, and how was it that you got interested in this type of research? What led you onto this trail and started to like, you know, uh, look into it? Sure. Um, well, I mean, I cover cryptocurrencies broadly for the Financial Times, and one of the largest areas of focus on that on that beat is effectively the ways that cryptocurrencies can be used or, or can facilitate different forms of financial crime. So when I came across this story, it was you know, it was effectively right up my street. So the research that Elliptic did. So how did they go about identifying that? this money has been transferred to these Chinese chemical businesses? Yeah, so uh, you know, th that's a, a broader question of, of how people can trace cryptocurrency payments, right? And you hear a lot in, in the crypto industry about the fact or, 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 or the claim, I should say, that cryptocurrencies are transparent. Um, that's not, at least in my view, not necessarily true. Um, you know, a, a blockchain in its most public form is a public ledger right? It's a, in its most basic form, rather. Um, and that means that you can see, you know, a buyer and a seller, you can see a transaction taking place in Bitcoin or in Ethereum or other kinds of cryptocurrencies. And you can see that money sort of traveling. Now, the reason why I don't think it's as transparent as some advocates might say is because you don't necessarily know the identities of the folks that are participating in that transaction. The, the analogy that I like to use is imagine you're seeing dollar bills flying from you know, out of a window of one building into the window of another building. And you can see that money moving, but you don't know who controls the lease to building A or building B. So it's not necessarily uh, very transparent. But blockchain analytics companies like Elliptic specialize in, you know, crunching the data and, and using, you know, effective software that can help people track 
you know, some of the payments that get made uh, in this industry. And that's, that's pretty much what they do every day. So who are these type of uh, Chinese suppliers or manufacturers who are who who do produces these type of chemicals? Are they um yeah, how do, what type of companies are this? Well, it's it's hard to say, you know, it, what their specific, you know, if there's any shared characteristics beyond the fact that obviously they're they're supplying um the chemical ingredients used to 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 make fentanyl. Um what is interesting about them is that, you know, I think the 90% figure is a really overwhelming figure when you consider how many of these folks are interested in taking cryptocurrency as as payment. Now it's it is hard, and I spoke to Elliptic about this for the story. It's hard to say, um, you know, how important crypto is, um, sort of pound for pound, you know, so to speak, um, to this kind of activity. But the fact that so many of these suppliers are using cryptocurrency as a form of payment really does suggest quite clearly that it's a popular mechanism. Mm. So um, these would be suppliers that normally would have a hard time um, taking payment using the traditional banking system, right? Yeah. I mean, well, you know, most of the chemical ingredients that are used to create fentanyl are controlled substances everywhere in the world, right? I mean, this is stuff that it's not easy to do this kind of business um, mm. and, you know, to say the least. Uh, so it's it. this is something that we see up and down in the crypto industry very often where, um, it is an alternative payment mechanism that some folks gravitate to in order to do all sorts of things that are much harder in the established financial system. And we can get onto some of these other things perhaps later in the podcast, but there's a lot to be said about how cryptocurrency can help facilitate the evasion of economic sanctions, for example. That's that's all. The ransomware industry is, is very largely tied to cryptocurrencies as well. So, so this idea of it being used as an alternative payment mechanism to facilitate business that, that is harder to achieve in the traditional sense and in the traditional financial system is, is certainly an interesting subject. Mm. And I can imagine that the U.S. government is, uh, you know, they they are uh, incentivized to kind of stop to stop this type of trade and stop this type of uh, production. So, what have they? Um, are there any initiatives by the U.S. government to kind of stop this or any actions taken? Sure. Well, I mean, one one thing as well, just to to put into 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 context here, how how significant the fentanyl epidemic is in the states. Uh, a, a couple of points. The first is um, recently the U.S. Uh, Drug Enforcement Administration, the U.S. DEA, uh, they seized about three hundred seventy nine million deadly doses of uh, fentanyl, which is effectively enough to kill every man, woman, and child in the United States. Um, alongside COVID nineteen. The fentanyl epidemic has also driven U.S. life expectancy down to 76.4 years, if I remember correctly. And that's that's a low that hasn't been seen for the past 25 years. Um, so, you know, it, it, it sort of goes without saying, but it's obviously worth saying and emphasizing how how tragic and how how much of an issue this is in, in the U.S. Um, one thing that, that stood out to me when I started digging into this subject is that a lot of the folks that that, that you know, fall victim to this, may not even know that they're taking this stuff. They might think that they're taking cocaine or another drug that, you know, that, that someone might might take. But um, so, yeah, it, it's obviously a massive issue. And the current administration have looked at, a, you know, a bunch of different things that they could do to try and stop this. Uh, you know, a, a lot of folks, particularly on the right, have said uh, that, you know, tightening up border control with Mexico would be a solution. But there isn't evidence to suggest necessarily that migrants are the leading 
sort of, you know, cause of this problem. Most drug, most fentanyl uh, drug dealers are actually U.S. citizens. I think roughly about 80% or so by, by latest figures. Um, social media companies as well have come into, has come, have come under the spotlight because a lot of these deals get facilitated through social media companies. So there are calls for those companies to crack down on, on, on allowing that sort of stuff to take place on their platforms. Mm, interesting. And just, uh, well, these chemicals originates from China, you know, it's paid by, by crypto and then it needs to be shipped, right? And we did another episode of The Laundry where we talked about like trade, trade-based money laundering and trade finance and how a lot of banks, you know, if you put a, if you give a line of credit in order for something to be shipped, you have a lot of uh, money laundering legislation and, and things like that that kick in. But if it's already paid by crypto and then shipped, I'm guessing that banks and financial institutions don't need to kind of, they don't have the same requirements then to understand what is actually being shipped. So how is it being shipped and how does it enter the, like, where does it enter the country and where is like the final product put together? Do you have any in intel on that? Well, the, the one thing I would say on that, um, and, and you know, the, the shipping and physical transport of this stuff is, is a completely different issue, a completely, you know, a, an additional sort of layer to this web. But one thing that I would, I'd point back to the, the stat that I, that I gave just a couple of minutes ago about the DAA seizing um, 379 million uh, deadly doses of this stuff. Uh, that figure has been rapidly on the rise, um, and it it's very difficult to sort of track the the shipping of this stuff because obviously it's done in a in a clandestine way. Um, so it's not it's not necessarily the easiest thing to crack down on. Of course, um, that you know as it ties to cryptocurrencies, I think um, one thing that I would like to emphasize as well is that, and this is directly from the the elliptic study too that. The cryptocurrency wallets that were used by these companies, uh, they received a total sum of more than a, a tick above $27 million, which is a sizable amount of money, of course, but it, it that translated to being enough to purchase the ingredients that could produce fentanyl pills with a street value of over $50 billion. Uh, so oh, that's a crazy like math uh, like yeah, equation. That's, that's you know, jaw dropping, really, I would say. I mean, it's it, so. The stakes are high, to say the least, right? Oh, yeah. So 27 million worth of chemical ingredients produces like $50 billion in street value. That's crazy. Yeah. And uh, as well, these, these cryptocurrency payments that, that have been received by these, um, by these suppliers, they're growing as well. So, and growing at a rapid rate. So if you look at January of, tw of 2021, there was literally just one payment that Elliptic found during that period, um, you know, that, that, that sort of tied these things together. If you look at last month, um, for now, so yeah, April, um, we're looking at over 600 payments. So that's a massive increase in, in what is a relatively short period of time. Yeah, I, I heard it's kind of terrifying as well, if you look at the state of the crisis right now. And if you think about the kind of time delay of, you know, buying something, shipping it, producing it, then distributing it, it's, uh, yeah, it's quite horrifying to think about the consequences. But what does China say in all of this? Do they have any, the Chinese government, is there any, do they have a standpoint or has made any well, comments on the, this? The Chinese government have been uh, for years now very, very anti-crypto generally, right? So crypto is effectively banned in China. Um, but again, it's, it's you know, it, it's very difficult to stop somebody from accessing the crypto industry within China. All you need effectively is a VPN. Um, and you can you can start 
you know, seeking to trade, buy and sell cryptocurrencies um, with with relative ease. So and that, that that's a broader problem within the crypto industry, which is by its very nature, you know, international and borderless and, and all the rest of it. Uh, so while while different countries have for different reasons, uh, and we can get into all those things, that, that's an entirely different discussion. But while different countries have tried in various ways to crack down on different parts of the crypto industry, it's very, very difficult to stop citizens of those countries from participating in the crypto industry, whether it's for you know completely benign reasons or something more nefarious. So, I mean, crypto plays a huge role in the like uh, opioid crisis, but it's not the only financial crime area where it plays a big part that you have covered. Um, we spoke a little bit before the show, and I'm really interested is... How is North Korea using crypto to facilitate their missiles program? Yeah. So, I mean, this is, I spoke to somebody recently um, who told me and that familiar with the way that the um, the US government um, sort of engages in policymaking on, on this stuff. And they, they said that North Korea is in terms of, you know, immediate tactical you know, policy priorities, it is effectively number one um, when it comes to the use of cryptocurrencies for illicit activity. Um, and, you know, just take a step back and maybe take a bit of geopolitical context to this. North Korea is obviously the most economically isolated and sanctioned country on earth. Um, they they effectively can't access the global financial system by legitimate means. And one of the ways in which they finance their, their illicit nuclear um, missile program is through cryptocurrencies. And that can take a whole bunch of different, you know, ways to actually be achieved. And one of them is ransomware, um, which I which is effectively self-explanatory. Another one is just simply stealing from crypto exchanges, which North Korea has a very well-documented history of doing. So if you, uh, if you were a head of AML working in a bank, um, working with financial crime prevention, are there any like tips or thoughts that you you could give them to to kind of uh, help them in the in their everyday work against financial fighting financial crime? Well, I, I would say um, you know at at the very least at the very least pay attention to this stuff, right? Because you know you you hear a lot of folks that that perhaps would 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 say you know whenever I write a story like this, I'll I'll hear um, from from some corners. Well, you know, what about the dark role of the U.S. dollar, right? Well, of course, you know, it, it, it's it's remarkably obvious that the U.S. dollar has been used for terrible things in the past. All fiat currencies have, but the the the, the fundamental point is that we're talking about alternative payment mechanisms here, and you know, the U.S. dollar is—I don't need to explain it, right? It's it, it, it's 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 a it's a behemoth, but when we're looking at the the crypto industry. I'll go back to that point that I made about the fentanyl crisis where Elliptic found these suppliers had received about $27 million worth of payment. That was enough to put about $54 billion worth of fentanyl by street value on, on the street. Um, so we're, we're, we're talking about, you know, a remarkable impact for an industry whose market cap is not very big. We're talking at its height before the crypto crash of last year, about $3 trillion. Um, and for an industry of that size to be, you know, punching above its weight and prompting folks like us to talk about the ransomware industry, to talk about North Korea's um, illicit weapons program, and to talk about the opioid crisis in the United States, I would just say, take this stuff seriously. 
Ja, det er en veldig god punkt. Jeg har ikke tenkt på det precisely in that perspective but that was actually some uh, some food uh, for thought have you uh, in your reporting come across any stories where um where like aml teams and banks and so forth have been instrumental in kind of stopping some of these uh, these criminals who are resorting to crypto and so forth i'm just wondering if there's any like good war stories you could share basically uh, i i I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say one that stands out uh, particular to crypto, right? I mean, at the end of the day, if if compliance departments and and financial institutions do what they should do um, and, you know, engage in appropriate KYC procedures and enhance due diligence and all the rest of it, then this stuff should not be, you know, effectively sort of beyond them. Um, but, you know, I, I would point again, perhaps to, you know, some of the more niche parts of the crypto industry, which very rarely get into the mainstream and crypto mix is a, a one such example. Um, you know, these things are financial privacy enhancing tools, right? So that the, their very design is to make it harder to track uh, the flow of funds. Um, and, you know, again, it, it's a matter of debate, depending on where you stand, ideologically, perhaps on whether or not that is a good thing. Um, and that's a separate discussion to have, I suppose. But, you know, as far as compliance departments are concerned, that's a greater challenge. And, and th those sorts of parts of the crypto industry that are still not in the mainstream, they they present a very significant challenge um, for folks that are, you know, invested in stopping things like money laundering because they're very, very hard to track, as I explained later earlier. Do you think uh, crypto has been, or I don't know if you know this, but if crypto has been used a lot for sanction evasion after the war in Ukraine, like evading the the now soon to be 11th sanction package from the EU? Sure. Um, so I think, I mean, like we've talked about North Korea earlier, um, you know, insofar as cryptocurrencies can be used as an alternative payment mechanism outside of the traditional world of finance, then yes, um, absolutely they can be. Uh, I think that there has been a, a bit of a disconnect within the, the broader discourse about how effective cryptocurrency can be um, to 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 evade economic sanctions uh, for Russia or Russian actors. But um, and, and I think that this connect has been, you know, some folks in the crypto industry would say, well, there's no way that Russia can blunt the force of all of the economic sanctions that it's been that it has been facing over over recent months and, and years now. Um, and effectively make them useless. That's obviously not true because, you know, the cryptocurrency industry is simply not big enough uh, to have that level of impact. But if you if you analyze this in a, in, a, in a far more granular way, then yes, there are many ways that the Russian states or the key Russian actors who have fallen to sanctions can use cryptocurrencies um, as, a, as, a, as a form of payment and as a means of evading sanctions. So one example would just be using Uh, non-compliant crypto exchanges. And there's been a couple of instances of that happening. Um, Bitcoin mining can even be used to evade sanctions to some degree. Uh, oh, how? Bitcoin. How so? So Bitcoin mining uh, yields a financial reward. So if you yeah. mine Bitcoin, you can you can stand to, to, to profit financially from that activity. Um, and again, we're talking about ways that perhaps specific sanctioned entities, and we're talking about you know legal or natural persons, can use these activities to evade sanctions. And that, that, that's a far cry from saying 
you know, the existence of cryptocurrency can fully blunt the effectiveness of Western sanctions against the state of Russia. That's a, a far greater standard to hold the cryptocurrency um, industry to. And I don't think anybody serious is making that claim because the industry is just not big enough to do that. Um, but again, that by virtue of that fact, it doesn't it doesn't mean, therefore, that Russian actors, key sanctioned entities can't use cryptocurrencies in a variety of means, Bitcoin mining, ransomware, using non-compliant crypto exchanges to evade sanctions. That certainly does and can happen. Do you think the upcoming EU regulation on crypto will have a impact on the or impact this in a way that is used less for financial crime? Or do you think that the ones who want to use it for, you know, buying fentanyl ingredients were are finding a way around it anyways? And it, it's 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 difficult to say. I mean, one thing that the you know many corners of the crypto industry and 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 excuse me, observers of the crypto industry have said is that it is long overdue for there to be some crypto regulation in, you know, the, the largest financial markets in, in the world. And obviously the European Union is is one such example. So um, I think it's it's a good thing that major jurisdictions are starting to wrestle with how to regulate this stuff. Um, but, you know, there's, there's it, it's, it's very, I think it would be far too simple to just say, well, Therefore, there are you know that there are some regulations in place now. Therefore, all this illicit activity is gonna is gonna sort of fall by the wayside. I mean, illicit activity, by its very nature and by definition, exists outside the world of of laws, right? So I, I don't I don't see um, how how that can happen. But it's it's certainly a good thing to see that policymakers and, and regulators are 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 you know treating this with a level of priority, perhaps that they haven't been doing um in history and one one reason for that uh and I'm, I'm sure that uh listeners are at least broadly aware of the collapse of ftx which was a major cryptocurrency exchange up until november of last year and ftx had you know a lot of a lot of advocates that you know they, they, they were in the mainstream more so than any other crypto industry uh player had ever been uh and when they very catastrophically collapsed into bankruptcy in november last year i think it, it sort of propelled and renewed um, a lot more anxiety and scrutiny about the crypto industry on behalf of policymakers and, and regulators. And I think that can only be a good thing. Mm. Um, I see we're running out of time, uh, but I wanted to say thank you for coming on the show and sharing your thoughts and findings. I think for me, it's uh, it's again back to the the math here that that we now have a way of facilitating like $27 million in payments and that can yield like $50 billion in in value or street value. It's I'm just left with that as the craziest, such a crazy thing. So, um, and it yeah. kind of puts it in perspective how important it is even to stop like the smallest of financial crime transaction, put it that way, that it can have a huge impact. So uh, I think our listeners who work with financial crime prevention will... Like that is a good reminder that it's the all the work actually do have can have a lot of uh, impact. So yeah, thank you so much for coming, Scott. It was a pleasure. No, no, no problem at all. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. It was a great chat. Yeah,